You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Monday, everybody. We got a lot of news to get to today, whether that's the Cowboys COVID situation. Jory Epstein's going to join us. Tell us who's going to be coaching them and just how widespread that is. We got to talk about some baseball signings. Jeff Passan going to jump in. Tell us where all the big money is going as baseball tries to make all the moves before the lockout potentially hits in just a couple days. And the fallout of another wild NFL weekend. We didn't have quite as many of the upsets of the best by the worst, but some of those don't look now middle group teams failed to follow up on good performances in recent weeks. And a couple teams barely eked by, leaving us very, very, very unsure of what the best teams might do against other good teams and in the playoffs. A lot of confidence dropping when it comes to some of the teams that have been near the top all season long. We'll get into all of it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain with you for the first hour here on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Before Fitz joins me for the second hour, we're presented by Progressive Insurance, and all guests are going to join me on the Goodyear Hotline. Let's get into some of the NFL stuff because, you know, I started the last two weeks saying, what do we know about the NFL at this point as we watch some of the very best struggle against the worst and we ask are those just trap games are those teams letting down or is this a sign that they are not as consistent and and confident inducing uh, teams to, to go forward and this week it's a little less of that um, one theme that I know I can say with certainty that we are all uh, losing confidence in is the officiating I cannot tell you how many times between Thursdays Thanksgiving Day games and Sunday, I I heard the officials talked about by announcers, some of them trying to tiptoe around the issues, others saying, well, I know they, uh, they're trying to keep the calls down, so maybe that's why they didn't call that one. Or after the ones we saw on Thursday, I guess that's not how it's supposed to be, right? We're not supposed to take egregious, brutal calls in a Thursday night Thanksgiving game and have it affect whether or not we call the games right on Sunday. But man, if that isn't a theme all season long, and uh, it's it's taking away from the enjoyment of the games. I usually don't say that. I think sometimes, you know, talking heads on radio like to say, oh, I'm never going to watch anymore. Or, you know, it's, it's really not fun to watch anymore because of, you know, tech, X and Y and the taunting. It's really not the taunting as frustrating as that is and terrible as that is that's bothering me as much lately as it is completely having no idea when they're going to give uh, uh, defensive PI calls, um, especially when balls are very underthrown, not catchable, and trying to nitpick on whether the defenseman play, turned around, turned his head, made a play, interrupted, yada, yada. It just felt like... And especially yesterday, as I was watching the Red Zone, it, it was like every time they flipped to a new game, those announcers were talking about it. And so that's about the only consistent. The other consistent that we got was that the AFC and NFC seedings changed for the playoffs, but no one fell out of or joined the playoff pictures. The teams that were in the playoff picture are still there, a little bit of shuffling. The question is, who's in the hunt? And the fact that yesterday's graphic you know, had the Giants and the Bears at four wins still in the hunt. Bit of a stretch, but it is kind of a weird situation. So you look at the AFC, for instance, the Ravens are in the driver's seat with a brutal and undeserved win. So they're in the top spot in the AFC, ahead of now of the Titans, just ahead of the surging Patriots. In the NFC, you look pretty set across the division winners. The Cowboys aren't playing very well, but it looks pretty certain that those four division winners are going to be fine. Then you get to the wild card spots, and right now the Vikings are in the number seven spot at five and six. There are six teams 
They'd either have five or six wins. And if Washington wins in Monday Night Football tonight, then it will be seven teams with five or six wins. The Rams right now, by the way, currently fifth in the conference at seven and four, but they're only one game up on the Niners and two up on the Vikings, Falcons, and Saints. So there, there is a lot of movement that could happen across up and down the playoffs here. And there's not a lot of clarity on which of those teams might surge. The only clarity I have now after this weekend, again, is that the Patriots are steady as ever. They beat the Titans. You know, Belichick gets a win over his old guy, Vrabel. Um, you could tell that this Titans team is missing its, its stars, right? Tannehill is having to go not only without Derrick Henry, but A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. And it is difficult to beat a Pats team when you make mistakes, not just because Belichick has his team, you know, so so rarely do they hurt themselves, but because Mac Jones is already so steady there, second in completion percentage in the NFL at this point. Now, the good news for the Titans is that they've lost two in a row now. It hasn't looked good, but their standing in the AFC South hasn't changed. They still have a two-game lead with five left to play. Um, they've got a bye. They, they play the Jags and the Steelers, neither of whom look very good. And you saw that game, and you thought, Listen, like this is a this is a game that they could have won. They had 270 yards um, on the ground. They were able to really push the Patriots, but they had three fumbles and an interception. And that's it. You can't beat a Bill Belichick led team when you have turnovers like that. In fact, Mike Reese, our ESPN Patriots reporter, was on primetime talking about how you could just look at the box score of that one and say, "Oh, it's a Belichick team, and they had four turnovers. This one's it. It's a Patriots win." Bill Belichick often has said over the years that no statistic correlates more to wins and losses than turnovers. And so today, for example, the Patriots were plus four in the turnover differential. When they create turnovers and they don't turn the ball over, they win games. And I think the statistic, if I have it off the top of my head, is like 173 and 18 under Bill Belichick over the last 22 years when they have a positive turnover differential and they've been positive over this win streak. Yeah. Usually in football, it's Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain with here on ESPN radio. Usually when you look at football games, whoever wins the turnover battle is most of the time going to have a pretty good shot at winning the game. Unless you're the Browns. Cause I think y'all watched probably that game last night and afterwards as ugly as it was for all involved, the saddest part to me is that Lamar Jackson threw four interceptions and the Browns still lost. Four! Four interceptions and the Browns still lost that game. This was the first time since 2013 that a starting quarterback had four interceptions and won a game. That was Andy Dalton back in 2013. Starting quarterbacks had lost 41 straight games if they had four interceptions or more. Leave it to the Browns. Leave it to the Browns to figure that. So Cleveland's in a panic. Uh, nobody knows if Baker's the guy most people are up up in the air. And not only that, but whether this team should have the expectations uh, that, that they did at the beginning of the season, as this has just been such a disappointment. And then Rams fans. The honeymoon with Stafford is certainly over. Three weeks in a row, he's thrown a pick six. We don't know how injured he is. That is a huge part of trying to figure out whether he will return to form and look more like he did at the beginning of the year and the Rams will have a shot at it. But boy, the Rams, like I said, they are just 
one game ahead of the Niners, two ahead of the Vikings, Falcons, and Saints, and they've got some tough competition. We're going to talk to uh, our friend of the show, Taryn Killam, a bit, gauge his level of panic on the Rams, as this is a team that went all in this year. All in. They don't have any picks in the coming years. They, they, they traded a ton away to get Stafford, and now people are already wondering if it was a bad choice. You go out and get Odell Beckham Jr. There's so many pieces of this team that they, Von Miller, that they went out all in. And now you have to wonder what the panic meter's at. He's, uh, he, Taron Killam, the rest of the Rams fans probably need to pick me up after all these losses in a row. Uh, so in, in honor of him, we're going to offer up some things that might make him feel better, which includes some, some, some websites that bring you joy. It is Cyber Monday. I don't want to talk about sales. I don't want to talk about the TV that you bought on sale. I want you to give me a website that makes you happy. Just brings you joy in any way. I'm going to put it up on Spain and Fitz Nation. At Sarah Spain is where you can find me. And uh, we'll send you out some of those later. We can improve some people's week if they had a, a bad football week or otherwise. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Coming up, we had big news out of Dallas today. So we're going to talk about it and how it affects the Cowboys for their Thursday night game against the Saints. It's next. You're listening to to the Spain and Fitz podcast. All right, so it's come to my attention that I should have put some sort of disclaimer on my request from the last segment. You can tell it's uh, it's early on a Monday in the show. I'm, I'm easing my way in. I somehow managed to not include that I don't want any porn sites. When I asked you to send sites that bring you joy in honor of Cyber Monday, uh, let's keep it clean, folks. And thanks to our producer, Stash, for having his his head in the gutter today since I didn't and letting me know that I probably needed to mention that it's Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain with you ESPN radio ESPN app Sirius XM channel 80 it's time for some straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless that was straight talk too because I'm giving it to you straight do not send me that stuff please don't be weird I want nice nice things okay uh Jory Epstein USA Today Cowboys reporter gonna join us now for the straight talk Jory uh not good news for the Cowboys as they take over a lot of the headlines today. Mike McCarthy, the coach, testing positive for COVID-19. They're going to send their D.C. Dan Quinn uh, to serve as the interim coach. Uh, what do we know about Dan Quinn and confidence in his ability to run this week as they get ready for Thursday Night Football against the Saints? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on tonight, Tara. Uh, Dan Quinn has a lot of confidence from players who spoke to today and from Coach Mike McCarthy McCarthy told us that he chose Dan because of Dan's extensive head coaching experiences, five and a half seasons in Atlanta as head coach. A couple of those years, he was coordinating a defense while overseeing operations as head coach. And so you have a guy who knows how to handle the flags, the clock management, everything with the game, knows what to do with the defense. The only change he'll really have to do to start off will be he'll come down from the booth where he usually likes to call plays from and come to the sidelines. So the Cowboys are sent. McCarthy, we talked to him today. I mean, he had a bit of a cough, scratchy throat, but he's feeling overall pretty well. So he's still directing the team meetings and the staff through the week. Um, but Dan Quinn, and even offensive players today were telling us, like, look, Dan's aggressive, he's confident, he's a strong personality in the best way, and players feel very sure that he'll have their backs on Thursday night in New Orleans. Jory, going to get help from some coordinators as well, right? 
Yeah, I mean, Dan will be the one ultimately at the top of the decision-making totem pole on Thursday night, but special teams coordinator John Fossil himself has been an interim head coach before, always has a role in some of those decisions. Kellen Moore will still be calling the offensive plays, so everyone will continue to be involved in the operation, but when it comes down to it, the decisions go to Dan. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Jory Epstein of USA Today about the Cowboys' COVID issues that will keep Mike McCarthy away from the game on Thursday. He was placed on protocols today. He continued direct game preparation, uh, was in all the meetings virtually, going to give a pregame talk to the team on Thursday morning. And then, of course, the coaches we mentioned will take over. What do we know about the spread, if any, with the team? Yeah, so they've been testing every day this week. Uh, Cowboys starting right tackle Terrence Steele tested positive yesterday, so he will be out for this week's game against the Saints. No other player has tested positive this week. And actually receiver Amari Cooper, who tested positive November 19th and is not vaccinated, returned to the facility today from his 10-day mandatory period away. So he's in the condition. He wasn't at practice yet, but he was back with the medical staff. Um, and the goal is to just have another clean bill of health tomorrow because they do have uh, five coaches who are going to be out. So um, there's definitely spread within the building. And McCarthy had actually moved to a nearby hotel on Friday, not because he felt bad symptom-wise, but just because he wanted to be cautious. But still, it's very clear there is a spread. So that's why they'll do the virtual meetings. They'll test every day. And the goal will be no more players being ruled out of this game. Yeah, despite sequestering himself, he, he did admit that members of his family had tested positive. And you mentioned the coaches that will be out, not just head coach McCarthy, but offensive line coach Joe Philbin, assistant offensive line coach Jeff Blasco, strength and conditioning coordinator Harold Nash, and assistant strength and conditioning coach Kendall Smith against the Saints. You know, Jory, we've seen teams over the last two seasons be able to go out there without their head coach, without important personnel, and be able to get the wins. And that sometimes, I think, covers up just what a drain it is on a team to be missing those assets that's a lot of coaches to be without what are you hearing about the ways that actually makes things more difficult in terms of prep and then on Thursday during the game itself for sure I mean even during the week when you think about it all three members of the strength and conditioning stuff tested positive um, one has a possibility of making it back in time for the game because Cedric Smith tested positive last week early in the week but I mean, the guys aren't going into the weight room this week because they, they want to be sure about that. They're not going to have all their massage physical therapy stuff at the facility tomorrow because they want to be sure. So you've got this physical aspect, this ability to get ready, and then you've got tight ends coach Linda Wells helping out with the offensive line, the offensive quality control guy Chase, ha- Chase Hazlitt helping out with the tight ends. So, I mean, the good news is you have a team with a pretty – yes, they have a bunch of rookies contributing big time, but they also have a lot of veteran leadership and guys – like Zach Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, Zach Martin, who have been on this team for a long time and, and can really step up. So um, there will be some things on game day. Another thing that can be helpful from the defensive side is that so Dan Quinn won't be up in the booth as he wants to be. Um, Dan Quinn actually missed the preseason game while testing positive. And so uh, Joe Witt, their secondary coordinator, had that experience of giving that information down from the booth to the field. So, I mean, you don't want these things to happen, but in terms of finding the bright sides, they've actually got a pretty good level of experience on the coaching side. And similarly, uh, with Terrence Steele missing the game at right tackle, Lael Collins has started 60-plus games for them at right tackle before. So they've got depth, and now it's just a matter of mentally locking in and, like you said, being able to focus and not getting dragged down by just the one thing after another. USA Today Cowboys reporter Jory Epstein with me here on the Goodyear Hotline on Spain and Fitz. 
of course, in addition to trying to just focus on the game ahead of them and not the COVID issues, they also need to focus on the losses they've been taking. Uh, three of their last four games have been L's, including that overtime loss to the Raiders that we saw on Thanksgiving. What is the conversation around the building about what's gone wrong for this Cowboys team? Yeah, you know, it's funny. When we talked to players today, I asked C.D. Lamb that question about um, the, how urgent it is to win after three losses in four games. And he was like, yeah, we know you guys as a media aren't going to stop reminding us of that number. And I'm like, I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you win, we'll tell you about your wins. If you right. lose, we'll tell you about your losses. <laughs> but there's definitely a sense of urgency. I mean, it helps that, like, last year, the NFC East is not a particularly strong division. So they still have a two-and-a-half-game lead in the division with three division games coming up in a row right after the New Orleans game. But this team wants to get back on track. They have goals deep into the postseason. They have injured players returning. Defensive end Marcus Lawrence could return as soon as this week. And when we asked Jack today how urgent it was, he said it's very urgent. He said this team is hungry and this team is pissed because of how they are playing. This is not something that, I mean, for sure credit to all of these teams, Chiefs, Raiders, and Broncos, who have got the best of them in November. But really there are a lot of things that the Cowboys just aren't establishing their run game like they used to. Uh, defensively, they're not playing with some of the discipline that they that they had been playing with previously. So you want to keep that aggressive, physical manner, but also play with discipline and play with a little more coordination and consistency than they have in the month of November. Uh, quickly, with the, about a minute or so left, how much of that do you think is about Ezekiel Elliott's health? Yeah, I mean, Zeke's definitely been battling a right knee injury for almost two months now. He kind of busted it October 3rd against the Panthers and has been playing through it like a warrior. When we asked him yesterday if he would rest if the coaches told him to, he said no one had come to him with that request, but um, he'll do what the team thinks is best if that's what's in case. So, I mean, it certainly doesn't help if you have a stiff knee that acts up and you don't know when it's going to act up. It hurts your burst. But on the other hand, I mean, it's November and he's a six-year player. All these guys are going to have something they're battling. So I don't expect them to rest him this game at New Orleans. You never know, but he's definitely been practicing like he will play. Yeah. I mean, still ended up getting a score in that Thursday game and, and can contribute even when he's hobbled, but it's it's a, a question for his ability to contribute later on. Jory, thanks so much for the insight. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me, Terry. Talk to you all soon. Jory Epstein, USA Today, with us here, giving you the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, a huge deadline causing some big spending. We'll tell you where all the money's going. Coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Baseball news coming fast and furious as that December 1 deadline for a potential lockout sits there. Many are trying to get the deals done first, which means Jeff Passan is making the news stop for just a few minutes so he can give us the update on what's already happened and then get back to reporting what will happen. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you for the first hour here. Fitz going to join me in a few on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM 80, ESPN MLB Insider Jeff Passan brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. Passan, let's start with, of course, the biggest news of the day, that Scherzer deal. It was a move the Mets kind of had to make, but how risky is it with his age and the way we saw him start to degrade during the playoffs? I mean, there's this theory, Sarah, that pitchers have a finite number of miles on their arm, a finite number of bullets, so to speak, that they can put out there. And Max Scherzer has thrown a lot of innings in his career. And 
we saw at the end of last season uh, when, when he couldn't pitch during the playoffs, his arm just wasn't there that, uh, you know, the, the wear and tear can get to a guy, but the New York Mets wanted to go big game hunting and they wanted to find someone who they could pair with Jacob deGrom in that rotation and be a truly impact player. And uh, the fact that they went to the level that they did for Max Scherzer surprised me a little. I mean, remember, the biggest average annual value on a contract we've seen in Major League Baseball history has been Garrett Cole at $36 million. Max Scherzer is going to be making 20% more than that, $43.3 million a year. Uh, it was a staggering number and, and one that I think caught the industry a little bit off guard, but uh, the Mets got a whole lot better seemingly by, by giving it to him. I want to move on, but I want to quickly ask you about that because Scherzer has said in the past he wanted to pitch in a warm weather city and he wanted to play for a winner. The Mets are neither of those. Um, I, I wonder, do you think his. <laughs> uh, I just want, in case people hadn't been paying attention, I want to make sure that they're aware. Um, I, do you think there's any chance that his position as part of that leadership council of the MLB Players Association recognized that he can't turn that down because, as you just mentioned, that would be a record AAV for a pitcher by 20% and now sets the market for a bunch of other guys? Is there any chance? Of course, he wants the money himself, but that also it would set a, a, a precedent because of the position he's in on that council? Max Scherzer is a conscientious person in terms of what roles he plays in the particular areas of his life, whether it is being a leader in the clubhouse, whether it's being a standard bearer on the mound, or whether it's being somebody who at the forefront of the Major League Baseball Players Association uh, needs to be someone who sets new records. And uh, listen, I don't think he went to the Mets because he wanted to get the biggest AAV. I, th I think he could have probably had that if he had gone to the Dodgers, if he would have gone to the Angels, the Giants. I think he was probably beating 36. But to beat it by the number that he did, and not just that, but to get three years as well, um, it, it was a coup for him. And uh, I, I don't blame him for doing it. Uh, let, let's remember beyond that, that as nice as it is to, to be in a warm weather city and to be in California like he was uh, after the trade deadline last year, Max Scherzer lives in Jupiter, Florida. Mets train 30 minutes away from there. He's got a son, uh, or excuse me, a child uh, going into kindergarten this year. So he's going to get to spend more time with his family in, in yeah. the sorts of years uh, that really matter. And I think that played a factor into his decision. But yeah, I mean, the, the money, the money's ridiculous. This is, you know, this is not Mike Hampton signing with the Colorado Rockies because the schools are good. No, money money matters. It always has. It always will. It's nice when someone chooses to spend more time with family, even when they aren't escaping a scandal. It happens so rarely. Usually that's only the time when people <laughs> want to spend more time with family. Uh, Jeff Passan, ESPN MLB Insider, is with us here on Spain and Fitz. I, I'm a little confused because we have almost $1.7 billion worth of money going out uh, just this first month of the offseason. And in recent years, it has felt like everyone was playing a game of chicken for who would sign whom and why and how long it would take. Why has this deadline pushed the activity of baseball free agency? Uh, I think it's because that's what deadlines do, right? Uh, I mean, you have to understand, Major League Baseball is a completely different system than the NFL, than the NBA, than the NHL. They're all capped systems, so... Teams know how much money they have to spend, and they can allocate it accordingly. Uh, in baseball, there is no salary cap, and because of that, teams sit back and wait and try to get the best deals possible because they understand that 
there's an inherent pressure placed on players who want to know where they're going to go. And the longer you can delay them knowing that, the more likely they are to potentially cave or bend. Now, that doesn't always happen, but it's a, you know, it's a real thing, I think. And, and part of the reason why some of these big signings in recent years have been pushed back. Uh, th- this, to me, is a sign to Major League Baseball. Put an artificial deadline there. Like, uh, pause the winter after the winter meetings uh, until, you know, the end of January or whatever it may be. And, and you're likely to get more signings that way. Now, there are concerns that that's going to change the market and that that's going to be detrimentally effective toward players. Uh, and, and I get that. You know, you don't want to uh, rob Peter to pay Paul. But you look at what's going on here. You look at the amount being spent. I understand this is a historically deep free agent class, but the fact that, you know, we're, we're above a billion and a half at this point and uh, Freddie Freeman hasn't signed and Carlos Correa hasn't signed and Trevor Story hasn't signed and you can go on and on the, the number of like very good players who are going to command nine figures that haven't signed at this point. Uh, we're looking at uh, by a pretty good margin, I think, the biggest spending winter we have seen in baseball history. So, passing the deadline is pushing the players because they don't want to wait till the end of potential lockout to figure out where they go because it might be just before the season or into the season, and then it's last minute scrambling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Usually I think, they're willing I think, to play yeah, chicken as well. The, yeah, I think it's pushing the players, but I think it's pushing the teams too. I think the teams don't want that uncertainty of going into the the eve of spring training potentially if a lockout lasts for that long, not knowing what your team's going to look like. And then having a frenzied scramble where you just don't know what the market's going to bear. There, there is such a value that not teams, not players, human beings place on certainty in their lives. And I think that the, the payments going to players right now reflect the need for that certainty from both teams and honestly players. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Jeff Passan about the crazy MLB signings. Last year in November, five free agents signed deals worth at least a million, all for one year, none for more than $15 million. And as we just mentioned, $1.7 billion is out there when you look at the players that have been inked. Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, John Gray. We just mentioned Scherzer, Starling Marte, a bunch of others. Um, what effect might the decisions made around the CBA have on the deals that have already been signed, if any? Is there a risk to getting them done, not knowing what could come out of those negotiations? No question about it. I mean, guys may be leaving money on the table, but I think the size of these contracts, uh, frankly, reflects the fact that they're comfortable with that. If they're leaving money on the table, I can't imagine it's going to be a whole lot. And Uh, There are some guys who are going to benefit from waiting. There are also some guys who are going to be hurt from waiting. Uh, So, uh, you know, because we don't know what the competitive balance tax threshold, the luxury tax threshold is going to be, we don't know which teams are going to be more compelled to go out and spend uh, after a potential lockout. And uh, that that uncertainty is unquestionably playing on guys' minds and I I think has done a lot to to fostering this environment where – uh, teams and players are in agreement. Hey, let's get something done now before the lockout happens. And that uncertainty is, is paramount in this game. So who are we looking at now? Jeff Pastor is with us, ESPN MLB insider. What are the big names that you're waiting uh, to hear on? 
I mean, Javier Baez is, is clearly a big one at this point, and I, I think there's a chance he could go before the lockout. I think there's also a chance that uh, he may be someone who waits. And Carlos Correa, you know, uh, almost universally seen as the best free agent of this class. Well, uh, by waiting, he's now got Corey Seager's 10 years and 325 on the table in front of him, and I think that can only help him. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what his market looks like because – Team like the New York Yankees, uh, you know, they need a shortstop, and they could go out and sign Andrelton Simmons. They could trade for Isaiah Kiner-Falefa with the Rangers, uh, or they can go big and and get Correa, thinking that maybe he's going to move over to third base by the time Anthony Volpe, their top prospect, is ready. But uh, in reality, uh, you look at, at what Carlos Correa does best: uh, good hitter good leader in the clubhouse but his defense uh i mean he's brilliant gold glove winning shortstop this year so are you really going to move him off that i'm not even going to ask about the cubs because what i'm going to enjoy about the cubs is the history of wrigley field a cold beer warm sunshine and uh hoping that i know a few of the players names and that's all i can ask for jeff <laughs> thanks for carving out some time get back to work all right take care Jeff Passan, ESPN MLB Insider, with me here on Spain and Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And don't forget to tune into the That's What She Said podcast, hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Tomorrow's guest, Jason Concepcion, a.k.a. Network on the Twitter sphere. Working for Crooked Media over there. He was a great conversation. That goes up tomorrow on That's What She Said. Some Gatorade news coming up. Also, goodbye, Oklahoma. Hello, L.A. What Lincoln Riley had to say and cry about when talking about his new job. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Jason, going to join me about 15 minutes here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We got lots to get to. Somehow, after all the moaning and groaning of last week, both of our teams won on Thanksgiving. Neither was necessarily a game to be proud of, but a W's a W. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, also, of course, good take, hot take, which we do every Monday listening to the gas bags bloviate about various NFL and college football related things. Speaking of college football, been too long since uh, since I uh, started the show and have not mentioned Lincoln Riley and the massive deal sending him to USC. Uh, this is uh, one of those moves that caught a lot of people off guard because he was addressing the rumors about LSU, but not exactly bringing up uh, anything about USC. He replaces Clay Helton. Uh, Helton, of course, fired in September after seven seasons. Riley coming off four straight Big 12 titles for the Sooners, three college football playoff appearances in his first four seasons. Uh, Oklahoma eliminated from the Big 12 championship game after losing to Oklahoma State Saturday night. So he not only uh, talking about the opportunities that he has at USC, but uh, first, let's hear just how emotional he got talking about leaving behind that Oklahoma squad. I told the team earlier, uh, toughest decision of my life uh, to come here. And, and it's uh, those people there were tremendous to me. And uh, so thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for my time here. That's a, one of the 
best college football programs in the country and, and has been forever and will continue to be. So very thankful for my time here. And you talked about how quickly the deal to go to USC came about. It came together quickly, but to be honest, in this day and age in college football, it, it, it kind of has to if it's going to. It's just the way of the world right now. And uh, But I would say the impact of, of meeting with our university leadership uh, was, was pretty immediate for me. So uh, kind of surprise and shock and, and, and speed with the decision. And Bob Stoops now uh, interested or uh, being, being given the call to serve as interim coach. Um, he was on the golf course when he got the call, but right back into the face of being the Oklahoma program, selling it, talking about how um, it's not about the coach, it's about the players. Um, so we will get into some of that, uh, what Riley will be able to do in terms of recruiting for USC, what Stoops will be able to do in terms of kind of stopping the bleeding from uh, the concern about those who already committed or who um, wonder what that program will look like without Lincoln Riley. Fitz going to join me to talk about all that in just a little bit. But we also have to get into Monday night football we've got a game maybe not as exciting as some in in the past featuring uh russell wilson and the seahawks but i'll tell you this guy shows up for prime time games so the expectation tonight is that seattle will try to keep washington from giving them their fourth loss uh, uh of the year seattle at three and seven now washington at four and six let's give you a little bit of our monday night football preview brought to you by progressive insurance feel like we have sound. There we go. <laughs> That's right. Two sub 500 teams facing off 815 cent uh, Eastern on ESPN. And you've got Russell Wilson, who is actually a model for Washington's Taylor Heineke when he was in college. He was watching Russ in the NFL, wanted to emulate his style, and now he has a chance to beat him tonight as Washington hosts the Seahawks. This, you heard in an update, uh, a SportsCenter update earlier, the worst start for Pete Carroll through 10 games uh, and this Seattle team. They're looking to avoid their first ever three-game losing streak with Russ as the starting quarterback. Of course, he rushed back from injury, was shockingly fast to return from, from the hand injury, um, but it hasn't been a great result for him or the rest of that team. Washington, on the other hand, after a really disappointing start, I would say the Washington def defense has probably been one of the most disappointing phases or parts of any football team this year. Um, but they have bounced back. They beat Tampa Bay. They beat Carolina. Uh, they are now sitting at four and six. And again, everyone's still kind of in the mix, which is shocking because we have such a a dearth of, of truly elite teams this year. Um, meanwhile, Seattle just lost to Green Bay and Arizona. Um, and, you know, what does this mean to either side? I guess if you're a Seattle fan, you want to make things as rosy and positive as possible for Russ so he doesn't decide to leave in the offseason. A lot of conversation about opportunities. He's going to have to go somewhere else. Um, Washington, again, trying to just um, firm up behind uh Heineke also try to prove a little bit more uh, of that defense that was so highly touted coming in um, that they haven't lost their swagger. Those couple wins recently have done a lot for them, but a lot to be seen yet uh, uh, as far as whether that Washington team can turn itself into a respectable squad. We've seen, for instance, the Dolphins reel off wins. Um, it's not going to solve 
you know, the issue of, of being a playoff contender, but it's certainly going to take a little bit of pressure off someone like Brian Flores. So Washington looking for the same, a couple run, a uh, couple wins here in a row that could that could run them into a more respectable finish. Um, and Pete Carroll and, and Seattle with, with uh, again, a lot to try to convince uh, Russell Wilson about sticking around where he's been able to be so successful up until this season. Uh, Monday night preview brought to you by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. I mentioned when I went to the break in the last segment that there was some Gatorade news today. I read that read, which is Gatorade sponsoring my podcast and how much they do to sponsor women in sports. So that is not just talk. They have been walking the walk for years. They have a really great roster of Gatorade-sponsored athletes, including a lot of great female athletes, Serena Williams, Sydney McLaughlin, Elena Deladon, April Ross, um, and the list goes on. Well, they have added one, and that is Paige Becker's. UConn basketball player, the first signed college player of any kind for Gatorade, a multi-year deal to drive an impact on the women's game. She was Gatorade player of the year in high school. She obviously had an incredible rookie season last year, now averaging over 20 points, over six assists, five boards, um, shooting 55 plus percent from the field this season. Um, This is a massive deal in part because a lot of people tried to argue that NIL rights would affect women athletes poorly. And anybody who knew anything about how college sports work knew that that was the opposite. Uh, there are tons of female athletes that have cashed in on NIL deals. And a lot of the sports that um, are, are, are benefiting, a lot of the athletes that are benefiting are in sports that reach their peak in college, that don't have extremely popular professional um, leagues. And so their ability to make that money with the focus on them and the colleges that they attend, the boosters that are around them, the opportunity to coach and run camps. This has been exactly what we expected from, you know, Aaliyah Boston to AZ Fudd to Paige Beckers to Olivia Dunn, um, Jada Williams. There are there are commits even that have NIL deals. So um, it's great to see, and it's great to see Gatorade continue to put their money where their mouth is on all this stuff. So shout out to Paige Beckers. Um, It's a huge deal, and it's opening doors for a lot of others. Coming up, we're going to talk Rams' disappointing stretch here with one of their biggest fans. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Our next guest is the kind of person who paints his entire face despite being a grown man in the colors of his favorite team. He yells, he screams, his Twitter feed is like a roller coaster of emotions, and the emotions of late have not been good. Because the Rams, a super team, which has mortgaged its future for the present, is struggling. We're going to have a little therapy sesh here on Spain and Fitz. It's Sarah Spain. Fitz going to join in just a couple here on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. And joining me now on the Goodyear Hotline, it's actor Taryn Killam to talk about his beloved Rams. Taryn, last night was especially up and down. Uh, there was uh, there was enthusiasm, there was excitement, there was confidence. Then it just started being a lot of finger pointing. It's McVay. It's not Goff. It's Stafford. It's this person. Uh, can we just talk about how you're feeling today? <laughs> Thanks for having me, Sarah. <laughs> Listen, it's, um, you know, fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. You're not going to fool me again, but then you did. <laughs> it's um, it, 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 this is this. This is the stat I can't get behind. And certainly there's an element that's circumstantial, but the first quarter of the last three games, our quarterback 
has scored triple the points for the opposing team than he has <laughs> for his own team. And this is the biggest offseason move of any NFL oh. team ever in the history of footballing, I think is how it was phrased. I don't think that's good. Yeah, that's not a good stat. Um, were you, 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 you said on Twitter you were a little bit uh, wary about, about Stafford. You weren't all in, and you were hoping he would prove you uh, wrong for not, for not being confident. How yeah. much of this do you think is injury? How sold on him were you, were you early in the season when things were going well? I think that Stafford is an undeniably talented super athlete. Like, he's done amazing, incredible things. I think more than, like, my energy towards Stafford is that I had – I felt a little bitterness towards the handling of golf, personally. Hmm. Just because there is so much – there was so much emotion in golf and what he did for the Rams – I, I felt got a little swept under the rug that so much credit was given to McVay and obviously much credit is due to him, but this is, this was our number one draft pick, right? Under Fisher. And then he came in and McVay helped turn the team around, helped turn the franchise around. And then we got to the playoffs for the first time in LA history in 20 years. And then he took us to the Super Bowl, and, and then, it was the most boring Super Bowl game of all time, but <laughs> that's beside the point. I just think that there was there were there was so much achievement, right? That that in the sort of last the you know the previous season season and a half the decline there obviously the frustrations were pretty apparent to anybody paying even a modicum of of attention to the team. But this big, this big trade of like he we're sending him out to Detroit and we're getting Detroit's guy and and a quarterback can do a lot for a team. I think you look at a certain Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback who literally mm-hmm. <laughs> decided to fly three hours south and turn a, an, an entire franchise on in a single season. Quarterback talent does matter. I don't know that the discrepancy between Stafford's stat sheet and Goff's was strong enough for me to really be, uh, you know, uh, throwing a party about it, to be honest. And so I was cautiously optimistic. I wasn't like, I didn't fully have my arms crossed, but but everybody was saying, oh, here we go. And it never felt like that to me. It didn't have that vibe. And we had absolutely a strong start of the season, but we still haven't had that fourth quarter comeback and and it's starting to look like that could be a McVeigh thing more than a golf thing. Hmm. Taryn Kellum is with us here on Spain and Fitz. You know him from Saturday Night Live, Single Parents, How I Met Your Mother, New Girl, uh, new PBS cartoon, Nature Cat. Actually, I don't know if that's new, but it, it's part of your resume. Um, we're going to get to what is new and what you're working on, but I'm wondering if you find yourself to be uh, the norm around LA now. You're kind of concerns about whether they gave away too much for what they have because clearly if you went to a draft right now you would take Stafford over Goff. Goff looks terrible with the Lions and the Lions are terrible as always um so it's not necessarily that they didn't make a good swap it's how much they had to give up to make that swap so is most of your concern because it feels like they sold out for the right now and if they don't win that's a massive failure see I I I tend to agree with Snead and McVeigh in terms of um, the league has overvalued uh, first and second round draft right. picks. 
And, and unfortunately, golf is sort of a continuation of that story, right? Like you can get a first round draft pick that doesn't pan out, or you can get a third round with John Johnson, the third, who I think we are desperately missing this year, who went over to Cleveland. Um, I, I don't believe that like, oh, our next three seasons are doom and gloom. And I even think that like with a majority of the super talent that we've traded for, we could still one, hopefully have a great, you know, final, final quarter of the season, final fifth of the season, but also have a much stronger 2022 season. You know, I think, I think that it's this all or nothing right now. There's a weird pressure. And McVay actually said something about um, when he was praising Aaron Donald, he's like, if I can't get this guy a Super Bowl ring, then shame on me. And it's unfortunate that it feels like he really meant that. <laughs> that so much <laughs> of their energy and movement is put on that of like, now, now, now. There's also like, there's also this not real um, pressure of wanting to be the home team Super Bowl team with the brand new SoFi Stadium and the Super Bowl being here in Los Angeles. So there's that like, you know, arbitrary but wouldn't it be nice kind of pressure to make it to the Super Bowl in your home stadium um, which any and all team feels every time their city is is hosting the big game um, I just I, I just it, I've, I've watched three games in a row where, <laughs> where you know where we're in a hole before the end of the first quarter right. and like right. that that is the headline that's it that's everything three games in a row in very similar fashion yes two teams ago it bounced off his hands and the wide receiver crew you know was dropping a lot of passes and 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 yes this this game the the sack you know Stafford didn't see him coming it was knocked loose it was just a good play but we got a strategy then Daryl Henderson has had a phenomenal season and Sonny Michelle is such a great number two. We have such a dominant, strong running game. And just, you know, from my sort of armchair coaching, we only choose to start running it when it's third and long. Right. Right. Yeah, they, they really got away with what was their bread and butter, which was establish the run and then build the bootleg and the play action off of it and said they're relying on dropbacks. Yeah. And that's partly why all these picks happened three weeks in a row, pick sixes for Stafford. And again, those injuries could be a big part of it. But in the end, the record doesn't care who's injured yeah. and who's not. And it's it's been a struggle for the Rams. Actor Taron Killam is with us here on Spain and Fitz on the Goodyear hotline. Uh, quickly, uh, what can we look for you in? What are you working on now? I just finished um, American Crime Story impeachment about nice. the uh, the Clinton impeachment, which was pretty fun. That was sort of my pandemic job. Um, and then uh, we've got a new season of Nature Cat coming out. So if new to you, that's great. But um, we're working on season four right now, which is pretty oh, nice. And then I will be yeah, – it's a wonderful show on, on TBS Kids about um, loving nature, which I do. Um so that's awesome. And then I'll be directing a film this coming summer. So that's occupying all my mental energy right now. I do not have children, so I don't spend a lot of time on PBS Kids. But I just noticed that Nature Cat is you, Bobby Moynihan, Kate McKinnon, Keenan Thompson, like all these folks I love from SNL. So I'm going to go check it out. Uh, kid free. Uh, just just going to watch it by myself. Uh, do it. In whatever state feels most appropriate. Taryn, thanks so much for the time. <laughs> I'm rooting for you in the Rams. The best, I will be Tara. in L.A. for the Thank Super Bowl. Thank you. We'll see ya. I, I just want to leave saying 
after all of these strong opinions, I'm also fully aware I don't know what the heck. I'm <laughs> I love it, though. you got to put yourself out there. When you're a super fan <laughs> celeb, everyone's going to come to you, and they're going to mock you when they lose, and you're going to have to eat it. So exactly. I appreciate you putting yourself out I deserve there. it. Uh, thanks, Taryn. I deserve it. I love Rams. Go Rams. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, yeah, go to Taryn's social media on any game day, and you'll get a, a wide range of emotion and uh, confidence and then fleeting confidence and then and then sadness, which is what many of us feel on game day. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, protecting your business with specialized coverages for your commercial vehicles. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up, we're going to dive into a huge coaching move in college football and whether a conference change coming up had anything to do with it. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Fitz not going to join me on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And I definitely didn't just find that out just now in the middle of the show. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to power through. You guys sent me a whole bunch of good websites that are bringing you joy in honor of Cyber Monday instead of just getting pulled in by fake deals where uh, they just put the price at a fake higher point and then cross it out and sell it to you for the same cost it's been for three weeks and you just didn't notice because you weren't on the site. We're instead going to talk about websites that bring us joy, also that aren't porn. Thanks for that note, Stash. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, we also have lots of college football news to get to. Uh, like I mentioned, you could be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation's presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz is where you can send us sites that bring you joy. Uh, if you're having a bad day, if you have a break at work, a lot of people are saying mental floss. A lot of people are saying this website on Twitter, this person on Twitter at Buten Gebiden. I have no idea if I pronounce that right. B-U-I-T-E-N-G-E-B-I-E-D-E-N underscore positive, smile-inducing, uplifting account that many of you have sent me. So uh, send some more of those. We'll keep those coming. I might need some after uh, the show today. Uh maybe. Let's get into Lincoln Riley heading to USC. Uh, a shocking move, um, a decision that a lot of people didn't see coming. LSU was the one he was asked about, and he honestly said, I'm not leaving Oklahoma for LSU. Didn't say that he wasn't leaving the Sooners for USC, though, and that's exactly what happened. Like I said earlier, uh, this is a shocking move, and um, really surprising for an Oklahoma team that had seen a lot of success under him. Four straight Big 12 titles, three CFP appearances in the first four seasons. Uh, of course, this year eliminated for the Big 12 championship after losing to Oklahoma State on Saturday night. Uh, Lincoln Riley off to USC, which leaves Oklahoma in a tough spot. Uh, Bob Stoops, who is set to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in a week or so, is going to take on the interim title and coach the team in the bowl game. And he talked about how Lincoln Riley leaving ain't no thing. This is a real job. This is a great job, a great university with great leadership. And so our, all of you fans, and again, player, parents, everyone, just understand, give it a little bit of time, and you're going to see this is just a little bump in the road. There's not one guy, one person in the history of this program that's bigger than the program. Coach Switzer, myself, or Lincoln Riley. And what I told the players is they are the program. Players throughout these decades, they are OU football, not us as a coach. All right, that, that, that is, I'm in the hall, getting in the Hall of Fame because of them. The players, the coaches around them, all of that. But those players are the ones who are OU football. Would love to hold that 
conversation, that statement right there up next to, I don't know, Lincoln Riley's buyout money or his salary or the jet that his family gets. Are all the players getting that if they're what Oklahoma football is really about? Whatever the new coach gets paid, are they just going to just going to trickle that down to all the players? Because if what the program's really all about and the reason he's in the Hall of Fame and all that is, is just the players, then why do we pay the coaches so much? That's a conversation for another time. Either way, Lincoln Riley's gone. Bob Stoops in for the interim. They don't think he'll be back for good. But maybe a Stoops relative could take over the job. In the meantime, a lot of opinions about why he decided to leave. Mark Schlebaugh believes that you know, he looked around and thought maybe he'd reached his ceiling at that particular place. Clearly, it's been in the works for a while. USC athletic director Mike Bone, you know, was one of the first was the first guy to pull the trigger on Clay Helton back in September. And he knew he would have to swing for the fences. You know, I, I think I agree that the move to the SEC, you know, whether it's in 2024 or whenever, left uh, Lincoln Riley probably a little bit uneasy. They made three appearances in the college football playoff under him and, and lost all three times. And, um, you know, maybe maybe that's the ceiling. It's, it's going to get more difficult in the SEC with Georgia and Alabama and Florida and LSU and everybody else. But, um, you know, I, I'd heard he was a little bit frustrated that he didn't have the same tools in the toolbox in terms of support staff and analysts and, and other things that, that Alabama and Georgia and the SEC's other big boys had. Yeah, I mean, that's clearly a conversation around this, is what did it mean to him that Oklahoma was making a conference change and whether he would have to compete with the quote-unquote big boys, as he called them. Paul Feinbaum certainly had something to say about that. I think we got fine bomb. A lot of my friends down south are, are, are suggesting that. I, I don't I don't I don't subscribe to that. I think Lincoln Riley is a good enough coach where he could win in the SEC, he could win in the Pac twelve. He is at that level. He's elite. I, I do think it's easier though. And, and quite frankly, after after several years in Oklahoma, he's gone to the playoffs three times. I don't he has gotten there, but but he's just seemed like they were incapable of getting over the hump, meaning get a good enough defense that they could, they could hang with an LSU or a Georgia or an Alabama, the three schools that they've lost to in, in the playoffs. And, and I, I just think he was looking for something else. I, I, we all know he's, he's flirted with the NFL, and I just think Southern Cal is so attractive. Uh, this, is, uh, this certainly isn't a knock on where he was because it's one of the premier college football programs of all time, but so is Southern Cal. And Southern Cal, quite frankly, ranks a little bit higher than Oklahoma on the college football food chain. Yeah, and it gets easier for Southern Cal to make the playoff in the Pac-12 with Oklahoma going to the U- to, uh, to SEC, uh, SEC. So whether or not it was all about the program he was with moving into tougher competition or joining a really top-notch program whose path got easier, it certainly had an impact. And the expectations for USC are going to be very high immediately. You know, this is a program that probably could have gotten away with a little bit of rebuilding, uh, you know, with Helton leaving and, and what, what the expectations might be for them right after that. But now that you've got Riley, they're going to want immediate success. And a lot of folks have opinions about the recruiting that he'll be able to do there um, with with that extremely, extremely attractive location with the fact that Southern California is a great hotbed for talent, 
players who may not have wanted to go to USC or may have thought about USC and not thought it was a program that was on the up and up with, with other coaches, had elected to go elsewhere, might now want to stick around in Southern California. Now, USC has gone 22-20 and 20 in the last four seasons. Not much consistency on either side of the ball, especially on offense. And this is not, you know, a, a powerhouse despite having an incredible reputation. But now, with Lincoln Riley and the recruiting efforts, there could be some very serious change happening at that school. You look at Oklahoma and wonder who they're going to task with leading them into a new era in the SEC again. Will the last name once again be Stoops? Not the one that's serving as interim, but somebody else. That's what we may be here. We also have some rumors around uh, LSU, which uh, hilariously, the comment was uh, about about Brian Kelly potentially going there. Uh, I'll tell you what the comment was on that coming up next. Good take, hot take, also next here on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, usually on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to listen to the Man in the Arena podcast. It's a 10-part series exploring how sports impacts our everyday lives through the lens of Tom Brady's career. Brought to you by State Farm and available wherever you get your podcasts. Man in the Arena. It's time, as usual on Mondays, for us to go through the takes, good, hot, and otherwise, and decide what our favorite bloviating gas bags had to say about a weekend of football. It's good take, hot take. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes. takes. Give him the damn ball and let him decide. That's not the Green Bay way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. We're going to start in college where we just left off with Lincoln Riley taking that USC job. And I was talking about how it might affect recruiting. Uh, Obviously, at Oklahoma, losing a successful coach like that, and at USC, a place that is a gold standard for college football but recently has not been much of a contender. Well, some folks, including Mike Golick Jr., seem to think that he's going to be just fine when it comes to luring players to SC. Here's Golick Jr. on the show just before ours, Golick and Ganty. The second-rated quarterback in the 2023 class, a kid named Malachi Nelson, announced his decommitment from Oklahoma. Any guess where he is from? Southern Cal. Los Alamitos, California. He is the mm-hmm. number two quarterback in that class behind Arch Manning, and he has not coincidentally reopened his recruitment now, as have a number of high-level talented players that have been recruited to Oklahoma. And, Chris, we know how this goes. There are certain areas in the country that you think of, Florida, Texas, Ohio in its best years, and certainly Southern California as recruiting hotbeds in college football. That is a good take. Uh, and that is just a true take. Uh, as he mentioned, Malachi Nelson, best junior quarterback in the state, decommitted just hours after it was announced that Riley would go to USC. And LA Times reporting that it seems likely that wide receivers from Los Alamitos, where Malachi Nelson's from, uh, Makai Lemon and DeAndre Moore, who have committed to Oklahoma, are probably likely to follow their quarterback's move. Also, Santa Ana modern days running back Relique Brown, um, who considered USC before committing to Oklahoma, tweeted out staying home, question mark, with two big eyeball emojis after the news broke of Riley's move to USC. So that is a good take from Mike Golick Jr. It would be no surprise if high school prospects who had committed to Oklahoma 
changed their mind and became recruits for USC, in addition to plenty of folks who weren't looking at Oklahoma but would absolutely look at USC with Lincoln Riley at the helm. So that recruiting going to be easier to get folks to go to USC, especially um, if he can make it clear that this will be a massive pivot point for that school's success. By the way, speaking of college football, I mentioned this heading into the break. Sources reporting that LSU is expected to hire Notre Dame's Brian Kelly as the school's next head coach. An announcement could come as early as tomorrow. Uh, And at Dragonfly Jones didn't exactly hit me up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, but he's still a part of Spain and Fitz Nation with this tweet. He wrote, Brian Kelly looks like he thinks Sprite is too spicy. How is he a culture fit for LSU? It does feel like a very big jump to go from Ed Ogeron, who just felt right, to Brian Kelly at LSU. People are getting their jokes off on social media about the fit of Brian Kelly at LSU, but we could get that announcement as early as tomorrow. Man, there is a lot of money being spent in college football just on buyouts and guys that won't even be coaching at places anymore. Again, it's all about the kids, though. Really, it's it's the players that make a program. Let's move on. Good take, hot take. Hitting the NFL as Lewis Riddick talks Rams. It looks like a collection of talent and not a team. It looks like a talent collection agency and not a football team. And that's a problem. That's mm-hmm. a problem right now. And Sean's going to have to get that quick fixed very quickly because now we're into the money time, so to speak, for the NFL where every game counts because you have less and less of them. Everybody's jockeying right now. And they keep getting, they keep losing in the manner in which, in which they're losing. It's going to be a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to disagree with that take. When you look at this team, it is a whole bunch of very talented players, but they haven't seemed to come together. On the other hand, we don't have this convenient excuse to lo- to use for other successful teams in the NFL that have just struggled in a very strange year. And I would bet you if the Rams were playing like they were earlier in the season, it would be all about how, how could you lose with that much talent? You don't really need to gel. You don't really need chemistry. You've just got the best guys out there. But because they're struggling now, we can look at them and say this isn't a team. This is a collection of players. And I don't know if that's the problem. It feels like it's Many problems. It's it's a quarterback that's been struggling, especially early in games. It's a defensive coordinator um, in his first year with the team. It's injuries. It's a weird season. It's the fact that they were coming off a bye and trying to right the ship and played a really tough Packers team on the road at Lambeau. I, I don't know if they had lost this game in week three if we would have said the sky is falling. It's just the timing of it all. So I don't know. I'm not I'm not quite ready to say this is a McVay problem for not bringing players together for, you know, leadership not making this a a a, a sync in sync team. But it's certainly one of the problems. That's true. By the way, that Brian Kelly now confirmed Pete Thamel of Yahoo had it first Adam Rittenberg confirming. Now we wait for the official announcement all right rex ryan talking colts let's see if he's got a good take or a hot take because he forgot the identity of his own football team and that is your run first team Mm -hmm. all right at least be balanced 
Here's one way you're never going to beat Tom Brady, all right? And that's to rush the ball for 20 or less times. The record in those games, all right, regardless of who the quarterback is, 6-104. Right. and 104. You have less than a 6% chance of winning the game. Now, all you analytic geeks and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> why the heck doesn't your uh, head coach of the Indianapolis Colts understand that? Less than a 6% chance. So look in the mirror first when you wonder why you didn't win that game. I mean – it's I'm going to say it's a hot take. I understand that a lot of the issues were the run game and and Jonathan Taylor who had been so effective in previous games not being able to have that success in their three game win streak. The Colts that is Taylor rushed for 172, 116 and 185 yards. 19, 21 and 32 carries in those games. On Sunday just 16 carries, 83 yards. But that's speaking in a bubble, and that is ignoring the context, which is that the Bucks have the best run defense in the game. They weren't getting anything. They still managed to have a ton of yards, total yards in this game, but they just weren't able to do it on the ground. And I don't know what you want Frank Reich to do if it's not working. They had a 24-14 halftime lead. That was all with the air attack, first half. They tried to run in the first quarter. They didn't have any luck against that defense. They started throwing in the second quarter and had a lot of success. So I don't know. Maybe you want to criticize them for sticking with what was working instead of trying to change it up and go back to the run. But if I'm putting the finger, I'm, I'm pointing to holes in the roster, and I'm pointing to the fact that that Buccaneers run defense is fantastic. That's, that's where I'm pointing. It's not on me. For decisions Reich made, he was reacting to what they were facing. I think it was, it was probably wise of him. Speaking of the blame game, someone wanting to blame Stafford for that loss of the Rams. Let's see if it's a good take or a hot take. Yeah, I think it's fair just because Sean McVay made the move to trade the two first-round picks to Detroit and Jared Goff, might I add, in order to bring over Matt Stafford, who was supposed to be the difference in closely contested games in matchups like this when you're featuring two quarterbacks that would be considered amongst the best in all the sport. Now, I'm not saying that Matt Stafford is in Aaron Rodgers' territory, but from an arm talent standpoint, he was supposed to be the one to help unlock Sean McVay's offense and move it a step forward, and yet it feels like an offense that's regressed a lot and that's become largely one-dimensional and awfully predictable when it came to the last three games that they've played. And so I, I have to say a lot of the blame has to be placed at the feet of Matt Stafford because he was brought in here to be able to compete and go toe-to-toe with quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, and that was not the case. As a matter of fact, you could probably make the case that Matt Stafford was a big reason why they lost that game with the turnovers that he had. Listen, it's a bit of a hot take. I understand that Stafford has struggled. The honeymoon is over. Three straight weeks in a row with a pick six. But we don't know the extent of his injuries, and that is not an excuse. You need to go out there healthy enough to get the job done. But McVay has not been doing Stafford any favors. I just talked about it with Taron, right? This is the team that was good at establishing the run and then using bootlegs and play action off of it. They're relying on dropbacks now. You look at what McVay has been drawing up, a lot of heavy reliance on empty backfields making it more likely for him to struggle. And he has. And Stafford is absolutely a part of the Rams' struggles. But I'm not pointing the finger at him because he's not as good as Aaron Rodgers. No one no one thought that was the case. And through the first eight games with the Rams, he looked great. They got to figure out as a team 
including McVay, where the struggles are. For me, I'm not pointing the finger at Stafford. Coming up, LSU has found their next head coach. Will the Sprite be too spicy? Mike Golick Jr. from Candy Golick Jr. is going to join us next to react. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Well, it sounds like maybe Notre Dame fans who like Brian Kelly are going to need to pick me up too. So I asked you earlier in the show, in honor of Cyber Monday, for websites that you go to when you need to be made happy, when you need joy. At Alan Balsden wrote in on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation and said cakerex.com. That is a good one. I visited it. I highly recommend it. Somebody else made a Twitter feed of just Shiba Inu accounts. Text from dog at Tumblr. That's a good one. One of our favorite listeners at Gem Knitter. She said the two lumps comic strip site. And uh, at Legitimately EP also hit us up with a Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN.com. Damn near 20 years running. Love that. You love to hear it. Speaking of cake wrecks, that's probably what's going on over at the Golick household. As he found out the news that Brian Kelly is out, our Notre Dame alum here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain with you. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. LSU going to hire Notre Dame's Brian Kelly as its next football coach. Sources telling ESPN's Adam Rittenberg that confirms a Yahoo Sports report. And Mike Golick Jr. of Kenny and Golick Jr. weekdays 3 to 7 Eastern joins us now. First reactions, Golick. Uh, I would like to check out more from that text from dog account because that's yes. the one that makes me very happy in particular. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Sarah, my first reaction wasn't surprised uh, all that much. Like looking at the situations here, I can understand what is appealing about this to Brian Kelly. LSU is a place where three straight coaches have won a national championship. Only one of those coaches in now Alabama coach Nick Saban are better actual football coaches than Brian Kelly, looking at Les Miles and Ed Orgeron. And so for Brian Kelly, who has accomplished damn near everything south of a national championship that you can accomplish, the all-time winningest head coach at Notre Dame, I'm sure he looks at this as an opportunity at a place where five-star talent is a lot easier to come by and get into school than it is at Notre Dame that he could grab a late-career national championship if he plays his cards right and get the season like we've seen from Alabama this year at some point in the not-too-distant future. Someone tweeted out that he seems like someone who would think Sprite was too spicy. How is this a culture fit? Is that a concern for you? (laughs) You know what? I was going to say, I mean, listen, Brian Kelly, from, like, just looking at him, could not be a more perfect fit for Notre Dame, right? Like, he appears pale as if the sun would hurt him, (laughs) all these things seem to jive with all that so yes uh he's going to be introduced to a level of seasoning that is certainly making dan orlovsky <laughs> get under a table somewhere and suck his thumb uh so for real though your opinion is that he is better than the coaches that have had great success there of late so despite putting together what some might argue is one of his best coaching jobs ever with this current notre dame team in such a strange season this is a good move in your opinion Uh, It's an understandable move. Like, we'll wait and see what good ends up being, right? Like, we've absorbed more change in college football, I'd argue, this year than in any year in my Mm -hmm. lifetime, right? Between the declaration from Texas and Oklahoma that they're going to the SEC, name, image, and likeness money, the one-time transfer rule coming into play, all of the conference realignment potential playoff expansion that's on deck. Like, it's going to be hard to really understand and navigate what happens in the immediacy here with any degree of certainty. And so what we've seen between Lincoln Riley jumping ship from Oklahoma to uh, Southern California and now Brian going to LSU is 
there's still a premium, even though recruiting's a national game now, on being in places where the talent that is best is right in your backyard, and you don't have to work as hard to get them in at certain places here. And, and I just think all of that right now in the middle of this uncertainty, places with fan bases who will no doubt pony up a lot of the NIL money that's going to be a part of college recruiting from here on out, is going to make life a lot easier. So, uh, again, Notre Dame's still a great job, but we've seen, even for Brian Kelly, who's had you know five straight double-digit win seasons, the playoffs in two of the last four years, it, it's still been difficult to get over that hump to recruit at the same level as the Alabamas, Ohio States, and Georgias of the world. And LSU right now, as presently situated, you can get closer to that on the recruiting front than you've been able to at Notre Dame. Michael Jr. with me here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We, we played some sound for you talking about Lincoln Riley's ability to recruit at USC, and I completely agree, right? But I wonder, were you surprised at all by his decision, and how quickly can he actually make a change at that program? And I was listening, uh, Stephen Godfrey, who's a college football reporter on a podcast called Split Zone Duo, does a great job. Uh, they mentioned this when I heard them talking today. Think about Lincoln Riley's entire life. He grew up in Lubbock. He's been in basically West Texas or Oklahoma his entire life. And he's a 38-year-old who just got offered reportedly, I mean, <laughs> close to nine figures to go out mm. and coach in Southern California with his young family here in a place where he's already, when you look at some of the recent five-star decommits now from Oklahoma, been going to that pipeline to find talent here. Five-star quarterbacks from California, a place where he's now found a relationship and knows, man, if you turn that around quick in that landscape that we're talking about changing in college football right now, Pac-12 has been right for the picking. Like They have not found a team in the post-Pete Carroll era that's been willing to step up and take this mantle. Oregon has on occasion tried and gotten close, but no one's done it with any level of consistency. And so if you're Lincoln Riley, again, going back to the transfer portal and NIL stuff, he has got a chance. Like the early signing period for college football is a couple weeks away. I will be stunned if Southern Cal doesn't get a pretty substantial bump just off name alone because you're talking about a guy who can point immediately to results. I have put two quarterbacks back-to-back in the Heisman Trophy room and also as the number one overall picks or top near top overall picks in the NFL draft. I do this, and you can come get that done in Southern California, is a pretty effective sales pitch to a place that's already got a bunch of those kids that when push comes to shove, wouldn't mind staying home. All right, two minutes. It's Mike Golick Jr. with us here on Spain and Fitz. What happens for Notre Dame? Uh, Luke Fickle is the name that, you know, again, I don't have any reporting on this, but in just always kind of surveying the landscape, geographically makes a ton of sense. I think he's a guy who the idea of Catholic education matters a fair amount to. He has had overwhelming success at a place in Cincinnati who, you know, we got our last head coach from. And I think, you know, when he came into South Bend and got a win this year for Notre Dame fans to see what he has built at a program with comparatively fewer resources, I'm sure turned a fair amount of heads. So, Marcus Freeman, who's still on campus, maybe for Notre Dame right now. I'm not sure if he's making the jump with Brian to LSU or not. A place that courted him this offseason could probably also be a name thrown in there. But I'd imagine the, the, the alarms are going to start sounding for Cincinnati fans soon. How disappointed are you, and how disappointing will it be for Notre Dame fans to welcome in whoever replaces Brian Kelly? 
Uh, you know, Sarah, honestly, I have not sat with a lot of disappointment in all this. I, I'm grateful for what has been a pretty enjoyable stretch. Like, obviously, Brian was there for the year that we made our national championship appearance my senior year. We've had these five double-digit seasons in a row now. Like, this has been the most consistent winning Notre Dame's done in my lifetime, and it's been really enjoyable as a fan and alum. So I, I appreciate what Brian's given the university, and I, I really harbor no ill will here. Wow, look at you just spin into the positive in the midst of all the chaos. Uh, you said your phone was melting, so go ahead and handle all those texts and such. Thanks for making time last minute. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it. Spain and Fitz, Mike Golick Jr. from Kenny and Golick Jr. You can always listen to them right before our show, weekdays 3 to 7 Eastern. Also, of course, a Notre Dame alum. So the shocking twists and turns of this college football season continue. Uh, he mentioned it, and I don't have the number in front of me, but the amount spent on buyouts just FBS schools this year has been incredible. That's not counting all the private places. I mean, it, it's just going to keep getting weirder now as the as the – as the job shifts with Brian Kelly leaving and someone going to Notre Dame as well. So much more to Brian Kelly to LSU coming up on Keyshawn J. Will and Max tomorrow, 6 a.m. Eastern. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.